As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Muddy Knees Media. The Black Friday slash pre-Christmas sales are well underway and from today until Friday the 4th of December, you can get yourself a subscription to The Athletic for £1 a month for an entire calendar year. That means unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a breaking news service, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all the Athletic's podcasts for just £1 per month. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash Show. Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Coming up, Holt Bolts is Livy let loose, heart stung by the wasps, and do you know what? Someone else is going to win the cup. Happy days. I'm Andrew Slavin, alongside me, two people who aren't they really up for the Betfred Cup. Senior producer at Motherwell, Laura Brannan, and from the Telegraph, with affection for Aberdeen, JJ Bull. And here are our voices individually. Hello. Hello. <laughs> now the listeners know what we sound like. Did you know, um, obviously you know we're recording this on a Monday, the 30th of November, um, but on this day in 1872, the first ever international match was played. England took on uh, Scotland at the West of Scotland Cricket Club ground in Partick. 4,000 fans watched and it was nil-nil. Scotland probably could have done better with a, a low block or something, JJ. Uh, yeah, those games weren't. Was it even was it eleven aside? Was it official FA rules? God, I thought you were going to say televised. <laughs> it <wasn't. laughs> it's hard to tell. <laughs> no, it has a. It takes an awful toll on the animator's wrists. <laughs> I, li- I like how we started as we mean to go on with a goalless draw. Oh, the joys! Yeah, were <laughs> we that, ever good at scoring goals? Is that why it's um, St Andrews Day? Is it to mark Scotland? Creating no. international football. No, I don't think so. That would be nice. Obviously, we should mention as well, um, all 11 Scotland players were from the same club. Can you tell me who it is? Uh, yeah, it's Queen's Park. Well done. So it's basically <laughs> Queen's Park versus England. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, And, and obviously we've got England to look forward to as well, don't we, Laura? Was that where the blue kits came from as well? Because they, oh, they, they wore their... Whatever colour Queen's Park was at that time... We wore their strips. 
Well, it's nice talking about Scotland. It's obviously really nice to talk about Scotland. And even better, we've got a Scotland player on the podcast coming up. We've got Jen Beatty uh, to talk to us about Scotland women's massive match uh, against Finland. But I think we're going to start somewhere pretty obvious, don't you think? This is the Totally Scottish Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Left-footed delivery looking at the front post and the second goal is in! Ross County have scored again! It's Alex Jakobetti! And now the dream might just be coming a reality for Ross County! Only one place to start and that's with Celtic's first cup defeat in 36 games. Stuart Kettlewell's Ross County winning by two goals to nil at Celtic Park. And it ended up being a bit mental at Celtic Park because, well, Celtic fans weren't too happy. And even though we're in a global pandemic, um, the decision was made that Celtic fans should descend on Celtic Park and voice their frustration. Probably an unfair place to start um, because Ross County totally deserved this victory. But just your your reactions to to the scenes that you saw last night. Yeah, well, let's put let's put it into context first. So Celtic lost to Ross County. That's the you need to go back to two thousand sixteen. Was the last time Celtic lost a cup game. So, and it happened twice that year. They lost to Ross County in the League Cup and Rangers in the Scottish Cup. Thirty five consecutive cup wins seven consecutive trophies across the cup competitions. But Celtic went out of two competitions in three days and they've won just two games in ten. And at Celtic, that constitutes as a crisis. So what we saw at full time was a couple hundred fans, I think 300 was being branded around, descended on Celtic Park and did what they could to voice their their anger and their frustration. And... Yeah, you you can look at it in different ways. Like the yes, they have no form of real outlet right now to voice that frustration because they're not getting into the grounds. So you can understand that side of things, but to do it during a pandemic, and to then spark some form of violence or the, what they were seeing in the news, it was like missiles were getting thrown at cars passing by. It's just it's just pathetic, and annoyingly, their actions could in turn hurt the rest of Scottish football because you do that during a pandemic it, it plays right into the government's hands to say well no we're not having fans back because that's what happens JJ Celtic season started fairly well in terms of results but it was performances that were maybe lacking and now it gets to this stage where like Laura points out 10 games only two victories knocked out of two competitions it isn't the way that fans should voice their frustrations though should be by their wallet no uh, I mean, I think you're allowed to have a little say about your fans. The, the way they did it is unacceptable. I think there's not a person alive who would agree, uh, well, would disagree with that and say that you should absolutely go and throw rocks at the police or whatever the hell was going on. No idea what they're actually doing because all the alleged and some of the videos were taken down. However, uh, throwing your toys at a pram because you've lost one game in 36 in the cup is uh, really, really sad. Like, it's just it's just lame. It's just lame. It's quite self entitled, isn't it? So self entitled. Ah, oh, look at us. Oh, the, 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 all the rest of the clubs in Scotland would have killed to have that kind of record. But the uh, thing with Celtic playing early in the season, that like we said, performances weren't very good. They're getting the results now. The performances have caught up with them, and they're not really playing very well. People are upset with the board. They say that the board have let them down. They say it's not Neil Lennon's fault. It is Neil Lennon's fault, but it's also the board's fault. It's someone else's fault, basically. It's all someone's fault. You've got to blame someone. You've got to attach a, a head to the, the mannequin that you're trying to destroy. And uh, 
And like you say to it, they've won everything. This year they're having a bit of a panic. They're, as Neil Lennon said, in a bad moment. They get done by Ross County, which is not good. But I wonder whether it was like a full moon or something this weekend. There's all sorts of weird things. Was it? <laughs> was it really? It was, yeah. Yeah, it's oh. end of mate. <laughs> right, weird things happen in full moons, I swear. Ask any taxi driver. I promise, right? This is where the title of the podcast is going, I can tell. Ask, <laughs> ask any taxi driver about full moons and they'll be like, oh yeah, all the, all the nutters come out. And they do. And you'll see it. Like, I'm always like weary walking around London and stuff. And you've oh, wait a minute. Is it always at the end of a month? Is it, does it coincide with payday? Is that Regardless, come out? I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Regardless, um, but there's lots of weird results that happened uh, this weekend, especially in English football. You had Hearts getting done by Aloha as well. Just some weird things happen. I'm going to blame the full moon. Uh, yeah, we should look at the actual match, well, though. We should look at the match, but... I, I, I was my attention was pointed towards a, a good article on the Athletic where um, they spoke to Dermot Desmond, the overall uh, majority shareholder at Celtic, um, and one of his quotes was quite interesting when he said, um, "When things go wrong, they say he says we're unified. We don't have recriminations. We're not uh, here to fire somebody or blame someone. We take collective responsibility." Um, but at the end of the day, it looks as though Celtic's, you know, Neil Lennon, is, is his head is on a plate right now. Celtic fans want him gone. They're not happy with anything. I think this is the first time since 1958 that Celtic have went on a run of four home defeats. It's pretty poor when you're a Celtic fan looking at stats like that. And I, I don't think things were even as bad outside Celtic Park when Celtic lost to St Mirren under Tony Mowbray when he got the chop. So that's how bad things are with Celtic fans. And I don't know if this is the tipping point. You know, you look at things now and, and Neil Lennon says that he can turn things around. The, the quote from Dermot Desmond seems to suggest that Lennon might get more time because he has the loyalty of the board. But I don't certainly remember from any recent memory managers in Scotland doing too well when things are going against you. I can't name one person that's ever turned it around. I, I feel like football is one of the only industries where people get sacked so hastily, so quickly, and you're allowed to hound people out of a job. <laughs> you don't get that in other walks of life. But is it, is it not the drasticness of the drop in, in performance from Celtic, though, when you take... When, when Celtic have played so well for so long and it drops dramatically, you instantly look at the manager. Of course you do. And he's lost the fans. It arguably has lost the dressing room as well, considering the performances and the results he's getting. But he's getting backed by the money men. So if that, is, if that continues, how does he change it? How does he change the atmosphere around the place and the mentality and, and go full 360 with that? Because going out of two cups is a, is a crisis for Celtic and but if he gets sacked I don't think he will be sacked for going out of those two competitions he will be sacked because there's an overriding fear that consumes Celtic this season and that is losing the 10 and they will take the two cup exits as the warning signs that they are going to lose the 10 it's just a question of whether they let it go that far because I, I kind of said last week I think what could it was after the, the midweek game the European game I'd said what could tip him now is a bad defeat to a lesser team in the Premiership, which will embarrass them. I didn't expect it to come so soon, um, and I didn't expect it to come in the Cup. But yeah, that is what I thought might tip him the way it tipped Tony Mowbray before. It doesn't seem to have happened yet. 
I, I agree with that completely. And one of the interesting things about this game is that uh, if you look at all underlying stats like we often do with XG, uh, Celtic's 1.43, Ross County's 1.33. It wasn't as if uh, Celtic were unlucky and dominated the game and didn't take their chances. They were poor. And I think there's things that Celtic... So I, I can understand why Celtic fans are annoyed, right? Because under Brendan Rodgers, they played very good football. He's a very highly talented coach. Played a particular kind of football. It's possession-based. Uh, one of the most highly regarded coaches in world football, Brendan Rodgers, right? So you go from that to Lennon, whose, whose style of football is uh, a lot different and it relies on different things. Now, to be successful as a club, you need to have good recruitment. I don't think that's been great at Celtic for a little while, like we talked about last week. Tactically, I think Celtic have not been anywhere near as good. They play this 3-5-2 that tends to be, in my experience of watching football games, it tends to be that teams who aren't very good play a 3-5-2. You don't need three central defenders to play against a team with one striker and maybe two wide men who don't even get forward that much, which is what Ross County did. They're playing a 5-4-1, you know, that's that's what they're playing. So you don't need that. You can get rid of one of them and play further forward, play a 4-2-3-1. It's any sort of shape that's going to get you more attacking possession and more forward players uh, in the team. If players are letting them down, that's something that's very hard to manage. He's got to deal with different things going on in the team and that's something you think he'd be very good at. But if it's all coming together at once and then the pressure is building, it's very hard for him to get around from it. And Celtic look to have regressed from what they were before. Fans don't like losing even a single game for Celtic. They've lost one game in you know in domestic cup competition in like 80 years and it's enough to, to try and get him sacked. But you can see where all the regression has gone. If they fire him and they bring someone in, they have to find someone who is going to need time to recruit, put in new tactical information. That takes All of this takes time, 18 months. The 10 might be gone. <laughs> like it might already be too late. So do you keep stay with the manager who knows maybe how to turn it around and put winning players in there? Is it backroom staff needs to change? There's a lot of stuff that's wrong, but also it's not that bad. It's just a bit of a bad time. Do you think, do you guys think the Celtic squad as it stands is not good enough to claw back um, 11 points under a new manager. Do you think the players individually are not good enough? I think they could claw it back, yeah. Yeah, I think they're good enough. And yeah, I, yeah and, I, and I only have to harp on again about there's a player that isn't getting a chance this season <laughs> at all who could save their season. They could, He could turn it around. I mean, yeah, David Turnbull's been out for two weeks because of the COVID situation, but he could be the saving grace. It's just, is Lennon going to put his faith in him? To, is it a gamble? Because he's not been tried and tested yet. You're, you're, of course, referring to Odson Edwards' better twin brother, who was the one doing all the football the last few seasons, right? No. I know, it's a joke. Sorry. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> what? Edward has been absolutely s***. <laughs> so it's his twin brother who's been playing the last few years. Scoring all the right, goals. Okay. Right, okay. I think it's the perfect time to turn around and, and look at Ross County. I know we've been speaking about Celtic at length, but if you look at Ross County, more shots on target than Celtic in Celtic's back garden. They were excellent. They they set out with a, a particular game plan, which was to allow Celtic to have the ball. Um, but in particular moments, Ross Stewart, who I've kind of panned in recent weeks, was excellent, particularly at winning like clever fouls in Celtic's own half. And, and the likes of, um, of Reid, young fullback, looks like a really exciting up-and-coming player was really instrumental in, in the in the opening opening goal, which led to, well, it was an in, a penalty incident, wasn't it? So many players in Ross County answered Kettlewell's call, um, to use Kettlewell's own words. Um, he asked them to stand stand up and be men, and I thought to a man they did that. That's what Stuart did, and they certainly did. Excellent. 
All you got to do against three five two, I think, is you condense the space at the back. You show play out wide, and then the only wide players are the two wing backs. And if they're not their best attacking players, all you've got is crosses coming in the box. And then you've got Ayeti's like a poacher in the box. Edwards is like we said, isn't quite the same player that his twin brother was in other seasons, scoring all the goals. And then we've got uh, Ryan Christie and Scott Brown in midfield. Do you think Christie would get forward more? It's just not quite balanced. Like I said before, you don't need uh, three centre-backs there. Uh, Ross County did exactly what you think they should in that kind of shape. You sit back in the five for one, you attack quickly with counters on the wings. Ross Stewart playing a hold-up play really well at the top uh, to bring the ball in and, and lane it off. And uh, this is the thing. So to beat Celtic in a cup, you need them to be in disarray you need to get everything going your way and take your chances and Ross County scored took the, that was a corner and a, and a penalty wasn't it yeah set piece well penalty and a set piece there you go seems to be just Celtic can't defend um, and then they've got AC Milan in the Europa League even though they're out of it that's going to be a defeat they've then got St Johnston at home then they've got Lille which will probably lose as well and then it's Hearts at Hamden in the Scottish Cup then they've got Ross County again on the 23rd of December, it's going to be an interesting Christmas for Celtic. But we'll move on because coming up, we've got more shocks. At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Walk to the shops. Go cycling. Cycle the dog. Recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. If one leg of your 4 plus fold acre lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Min odds 1 to 5 on each leg on an exclusive exclude. Shop bets, T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. It's a massive opportunity for Alan Troughton at the spot. Troughton against Gordon. And Alan Troughton says a goalkeeper the wrong way. Alawa leads Hearts in the Betfred Cup last 16. It is Alawa 1, Hearts 0. Alloa Athletic playing the A-team theme when they score. Why wouldn't they? They are the A-team. It was an all-championship affair, but a momentous victory for the Wasps on Saturday. Alan Troughton with the only goal from the penalty spot after extra time. I think if I can have one um, hope for um, in the next few years, that I want Connor Salmon and Alan Troughton in the same team. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. Good. Nothing fishy about that. Hey. See, now that's a better joke than your Edward joke. I don't get it. I don't get it. first ever win over Hearts after 131 years of trying. They've tried for that long. Yeah, but <laughs> how many times have they played each other? It's like... <laughs> Every year, yeah. <laughs> I bet they've only played each other about 10 times. Hearts had beaten Alloa. Um, earlier in the week, three uh, 0 at Tynecastle in the league. But I have to say, Alawa were very lucky to stay in this game. I watched the highlights, um, and I think Neil Parry came up with two amazing saves in the first ten minutes, and then in the second half, I think Andy Graham came up with a great block. I mean, Hearts had far more possession, plenty more chances, but when it got to extra time, Alawa actually looked okay and were, were probing. I think confidence kind of started to slip away from Hearts um, and then, yeah, penalty given away 
Michael Smith charged in on on Robert Thompson and Cotton. Um, it was clumsy. It was reckless. I think it was a penalty. Although it's hard to see from the the angles of the replays because I've only seen like camera one angles so far of certain games. Uh, there's been a lack of highlights, um, so I've not seen close up replays. But from that angle, I would say it was a penalty. Um, and Trouton just put Gordon the wrong way. It was it was a well taken penalty. And credit to them for hanging on. They've um, they've done well at home this season as well. They've lost just one game in six at home this season, whereas Hearts are kind of a wee bit. Flailing, flailing, is that the word? Faulting uh, well, on the road? Uh, maybe not Maybe not um, performing at the levels that people are expecting. I, yeah. I think that kind of comes with the, what is it? I, there's a note here. They probably do, actually. This is right, but the fourth or fifth highest wage budget in Scotland. So they should be doing better than, they should be challenging in the League Cup more than they are at the moment. But obviously they've got Celtic um, on their minds because they've probably got a good chance in the Scottish Cup final. Um but yeah, interesting times. I think Alloa now have Hibs in the next round as well. Of note in this game as well, if you look at the Google, um, just Google's normal stats, you know, you can just Google a game and it brings up all the information now. It's really cool, that. Uh, but according to the statistics of this one, uh, there were zero passes from both teams and 33 <laughs> fouls, which is my kind of game. Nice. That is a <laughs> cup game right Sign there. Sign me up. Jumping from punch to punch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, well, it was it was it's just a strong Hearts team as well. It wasn't like they fielded all the reserves or anything like that, you know. No, they they made they made only it was only three changes from the midweek mm-hmm. game. The only deal notable one was Naismith dropped to the bench, but no, it wasn't an unusual initial side that they lined up with. I'm telling you, full moon, weird things happen. <laughs> yeah, obviously, well, Aloha progress. Uh, Peter Grant, the manager there, he's obviously got some cut pedigree um, with his time at Celtic. Let's talk about another upset though. St Mirren 2, Aberdeen 1, despair for the Dons as Jamie McGrath shot. Kind of, yeah, it should have been dealt better by Joe Lewis. Oh, uh, you think? (laughs) Understatement of the year. Yeah, I mean, it's harsh though, right? Because Joe Lewis is probably the second best keeper in the Scottish Premiership, to be fair. Yeah, I'd say so. I think he might be the best Aberdeen goalkeeper I've ever seen, I think. And well, I love Jim Layton. You don't take that away from Jim Layton. Obviously, I haven't really watched And those boys. eyebrows, my God. Yeah, yeah, he used to put Vaseline <laughs> over his eyebrows so he could, uh, I don't know why. Fashion. <laughs> yeah. No, it kept his sweat out. Stops it yeah. dropping in his eyes. I'm trying to think of something funny when I ran out of thinking power. <laughs> anyway, uh, this game is horrible. Horrible to watch. Dreadful game of football. Um, Aberdeen really missed Ross McCrory and Lewis Ferguson. Like, they've changed the way they play. Uh, even Johnny Hayes back in the team made little difference. Everything has been funneled out wide. Again, a sort of 3-5-2. It, it's a different kind of shape. It's more of a 3-4-2-1. So we're talking about Celtic 3-5-2 earlier and the limitations I think that brings. Same things you get with Aberdeen if you don't have midfielders really running the game or playing through the middle. And it's not as if St Mirren were amazing at all. Like, they just... I mean... They're they, finding they, a certain robustness about them, though, now. Three games unbeaten in all competitions... And I know they had a little bit of luck. Um, well, that's it. And you need that to, to win these sorts of games, right? And it's a free kick that, you know, it happens. You get a free kick and they score that. So that's in. Ilkay uh, Durmas, wasn't it? Correct. And uh, and then the goal at the end, and the boy says, um, McGrath says he, after he's hit it, he just turned away because he knew it wasn't going in. And Lewis has spilled it. It's almost as if he knew he was going to save it as well easily. And the, I just saw, I, it's funny, I watched that live and, I, and as soon as he hit it, it's like, oh, that's going to go in. It's weird. <laughs> I wondered if it, it was spins. maybe a deflection or something like that, but fair yeah. play, apparently Lewis held his hands up like he should have done. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, in the dressing room, he held his hand up, um, which is fair. But McInnes defended him um, and did admit that they're lacking in central midfield because, like you said, they're missing uh, McCrory. But they're missing these players because they are isolating at the moment, aren't they? Uh, so yeah, it's like you're so many teams are up against these certain restrictions now. It's just hard, really hard. When you lose big players like that, I mean, you look at any team in the in the world. If they, if they have few great players and they don't have them, they're not the same team. I mean, like Liverpool were in recent, recent seasons as an example. You miss Salah or Mane, something you're not quite the same team. I think Ferguson and McCrory have that sort of importance to Aberdeen. And unfortunately, Funso Ojo, it's time to stop the experiment, my friends. Uh, Dean Campbell, I think, is going to be a very good player. Um, but he just can't quite impose himself on the game. Yeah, Greg Lee playing centre-back, not his position again. It's just not all quite right, but they should still have had more than enough to beat this kind of St Mirren team. What What is Funso Ojo not doing right? That's a very good question. I like that question. He is not doing most things correct. He's not aggressive enough. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So, like, I like players who take the ball short, turn and pass. So, like, that's I like doing that. That's what I like to do when I play football. I like a player who receives the ball on the half turn, you scan, see the ball on the half turn, you turn, you make a pass and you move. And you progress, play that way, you keep it short. It means the ball can go from goalkeeper to defender to midfielder to attacker and you can uh, get through the pitch that way without, without hoofing it. The kind of player that Aberdeen have missed is Ryan Jack and that's what Ojo's meant to be good at. But he looks scared in possession. He shows for the ball sometimes and he makes a safe pass. It's never... Uh, almost never a progressive ball. It's always a safe sideways one, which slows play down, which means the opposition can drop back and block off the space so you can't get a forward pass. So then you're stuck putting the ball out wide to your wingers, and if Kennedy or Hayes in this position can't get past their man 1v1 or 1v2, which happens against teams who double up on them, you're stuck with no real way to get forward. And you see the depth between striker and defender. So Cosgrove, the difference between Cosgrove and Constant in this game is massive. I would say far larger than it should be. Uh, you'd want like shorter than 50 metres. It's longer by far. And uh, the midfielders need to fill that gap and they're not doing it. And Ojo particularly just doesn't get stuck in. It sounds so daft and soon essay. But if you don't win the battle by getting into tackles and then moving the ball forward, like taking control of it, you lose that battle. Uh, Laura, St Mirren face Rangers next. Chances. What have they got? <laughs> are you Prediction. Gonna bet, are you going to bet against Rangers at all right now? Is it worth it? No matter who's doing well, are they really going to compete with Rangers? They're just so strong and dominant right now in Scottish football. It would take them to have such a bad off day and for the opposition to have such a strong on day. But we've seen plenty of shocks so far in the Cup. So, I was going to mention in terms of Aberdeen, um, I don't know if you'd watched the, the highlights the SPFL put up of the game. There was no, no commentary over it, so it was just nat- sound, natural sound from the ground. But you could hear with every goal that went in, the commentator in the stand, who I think was for Sports Sound, who was working for BBC, you could hear him across the stadium just bellowing out like his report to the radio. It's oh, just—it's a very a surreal experience. Like that's something that you maybe hear. Like I've experienced that being in the grounds just now, but to hear it over the the highlights as well gives the fans a kind of sense of what it, how that kind of hauntingly quiet um, atmosphere at the games. I just thought it was maybe worth mentioning that. Um, Aberdeen have again urged the government to try and let fans back in to games in December. They they've lodged three test games they want to do. So there's one they want to have a thousand fans at on the twelfth of December, and then two thousand fans on Boxing Day and the second of January. Um, I mean that's not even ten percent of Pataudry. Um They've I don't know what the outcome is yet. I, I I don't have any faith in them being allowed to do it unfortunately. But their argument was in tier two you're allowed to have indoor 
access to, access to indoor shopping centres, gyms, bingo halls, cinemas. So why not an outdoor environment? Because as it stands, you can only get fans in in tier zero and one. So I'm really quite um, encouraged by Aberdeen's pursuit during all of this to really push for fans getting back in. And if they can make that change to get that allowed in tier two, I think it could be massive for Scottish football going forward because I think it will speed up the process going forward into the, the months into the new year. Yeah, Dave Cormack has been a real vocal pain in the bum probably for the Scottish government. Well, after the break, Livingston begin life after Gary Holt. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on the Athletic. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. What a week it's been at Livingston. Gary Holt leaving the club on Thursday, announcing his resignation with great regret. So we're joined now by Andrew Semple from the Talk Livy podcast. Andrew Holt said he felt the job had run its course. Do you agree? Uh, yes. Yeah, uh, do you know when the news broke, it was a difficult one because. He had, he had alluded to the possibility of him leaving at the weekend, last weekend after the St Mirren defeat. Um, but it still came as a bit of a surprise. You know, we'd, we'd spoke about it on our uh, episode that we'd done after that game, that he's the type of guy that, OK, he's had a down day, we all have them, but he's the type of guy that will fight back and, and, and give his all. So we were kind of all expecting him to to grit his teeth and get through it. So it did come as a surprise, to be honest. You know, we've had some some brilliant uh, times under Gary Holt, so it was the last thing we can expected to happen. Um, it did come as a bit of a surprise, but it's one of these things, isn't it? Just sum up some of the highlights of, of, of his job that he did, because it was a good job. It, I, it felt like a bit short-lived this season. I didn't think he had to go. No, well, well this is the thing. I think... Uh, Again, we alluded to in our uh, episode that we done that uh, it's not quite going to plan this season. I think he would have been the first to admit that. Um, but the fans were still fully behind him. Um, certainly we were, and, and 90, 95, 96% of our fans were fully behind Gary Holt and, and the job that he, he was doing. I think, going on, is obviously some of the highlights. I think that there's... A couple of standouts for sure. I was joined. I I joined you on the podcast um, after the five 0 win that we had against Hearts, um, which was unbelievable. If if we'll look back on that with great fondness, one of our biggest victories in the the top flight ever, and against one of our local rivals, as you would say, Hearts. Um, it was a an amazing achievement. I think our first point at Celtic Park. We, we actually have a great record against Celtic since Gary Holt came in. Uh, drew 0-0 there against uh, Celtic and obviously beating them for the first time uh, 2-0 at, at home. But it's not all about results. I think the job he done, certainly the club has done, but Gary as well as a coach uh, on London Dykes. You know, uh, he's the sort of star man just now in Scottish football, but you know we've plucked him from the, the Championship I think the work that we've done 
on the coaching side of things with Lyndon has turned him into an international star. He's got a move and I think that says a lot about his coaching ability as well. Do you think like, so on the on Dykes, because we were talking about this in the podcast last week and saying how it's kind of like, what's Holt really meant to do when he loses players like Dykes and Lawless who are so important to them in the last well, couple of seasons especially. And do you think there's anyone who can come in and then what, what what difference can they really make without finding those players and then coaching them again? Like, what what hope do you have? <laughs> yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that's the problem we're always going to have at a club like Livingston. We're always going to lose our best players if we have a, a couple of seasons of them if we're lucky and they're, they're going to move on if they perform well. And Lyndon Dykes was the case there, I think. With, with almost his Gary Holt's downfall has been our success, if you want to put it that way. You know, finishing fifth last season, I think the expectations were automatically raised within the fan base and at the club. Finding a replacement for Lyndon Dykes has not been easy. I, I don't think any club would have found it easy to replace Lyndon Dykes, especially a club that's no money to spend. You know, if we if we had money to spend and we could go out there and buy a striker, then you've got a chance. But the fact that we're basically looking for players in the foreign market, you know, untried, untested players at our level. It's always difficult on Lawless. I think, to be honest, I think we've done a very good job in replacing Lawless. We signed Alan Forrest in the summer, who's came in and scored, I think, eight or nine goals now, um, which is massive. You know, I, I dread to think we would be without him. So I think we've done quite well in replacing Lawless, but Lyndon Dykes has definitely been the major issue. You know, we've, we've tried to... We tried with Anthony Stokes, that lasted about a week. Um, J. Emmanuel Thomas has come in and, and really struggled. He's not played for a few years and it, and it shows, to be honest. Um, and, and yeah, that that's where we've, we've been struggling. You're replacing Lyndon Dykes has been a, a real test for us. The, the problem then is like a little bit of recruitment, I suppose, replacing them. Do you get a better head coach than Gary Holt? Like if he's turning Dykes into a, a player like that, who do you think comes in to replace him? Again, it's it's a tough one. Uh, I think our pool of potential managers has reduced because of the, the setup at Livingston. You know, we've got a backroom team in place. There's no sort of hiding place from it. You know, we've got guys that have been in the, the club for years in terms of David Martindale, Tony Keg has been there a while, Andy McKenzie's been there, the physio. You know, the backroom team's always going to be there. So whether that's the case that a lot of managers won't be keen to work with, a different team they want to bring their own guys in is reducing the pool a little bit. If I was to if I was to pluck a name out there that would be my first choice, it'd be Tommy Wright. Uh, I think the job he done at St Johnston is almost mirroring what we would hope for at Livingston, you know, making us hard to beat almost that ethos that we've had over the last few years under Holt and prior to that Hopkin. And Tommy Wright fits that bill. But again I go back to whether he would be willing to to come to a club without his own backroom staff, that's the problem. I, I, I think, you know, I wouldn't be against uh, giving Tony Keg and, and David Martindale a, a shot at it if, if they were willing to go, certainly till the end of the season. And, you know, if, if it goes well, there's no reason to go uh, on with that, on further with that. If it doesn't, then, you know, we look elsewhere in the summer. But it, it's, a, it's definitely a tough one. You know, Holt's a tough man to replace. He was a fan's favourite. He, he'll go with Livingston fans' best wishes, I think, he'll, and he'll go as one of our, our best ever managers at the club. I mean, it's it's good that you've got, you know, the likes of David Martindale, Tony Kay, because they've been a kind of constant 
um, at Livingston for quite a few years, and I think Martindale's more likely to be the the man behind a lot of the signings, is it not? See, this is, it's a bit of a, a difficult one to answer this. David Martindale, generally amongst our fan base, is well liked. Um, there's there's a few fans that aren't keen because of past histories, but we'll we'll not go into that. Um, but I think you know his title is head of football operations, and I think you know that's only been his official title almost the last season and a half. But prior to that, under Hopkins, he was probably doing that job as well. So he has had a lot of say in terms of signings and the way we set up and things. I think the important thing to remember, and I think a lot of people confuse the fact that Holt was the manager or the head coach. Holt was the head coach, so he was there to coach. And I think he'd done that very well. Martindale was there as a backup to look after the football side of things. And it's worked. I think this is the first first time in four or five seasons that we've had a difficult period with this setup. Um, so it's worked in the past. It'll work again. It's just trying to fit someone in there that's going to work alongside them. You know, because Holt was the perfect fit. Hopkin was the perfect fit. Whether we can get someone else in or whether Davy himself fancies that gig, certainly till the end of the season, I don't know, but I certainly wouldn't be against that. Well, at least you're still in the cup. You've got that to look forward to. Ross County coming next. That'll be an easy one. <laughs> Thanks a lot, mate. Good to no speak worries. to you. Thanks, pleasure. Thank you. Well, Livingston 4-0 winners against Air United. But there was 4-0 winners at Falkirk Stadium because Rangers were the winners in that one against their League One opponents. Rangers ruthless as always, guys. Um, three defenders in the score sheet. And I think James Tavernier is on course to break the goal scored record at Rangers for a defender, which he currently holds at 15. Which is why season. he's still captain of my fantasy team, even though I didn't get points <laughs> well, for him in the cup. <laughs> There you this, go. This was as straightforward a game as Rangers could have hoped for, wasn't it? I mean, the yes, Falkirk have good experience in their team. Um, Blair Olsen, Paul Dixon, Morgano Gomez, Connor Salmon, they've, they've got potentials there who could have caused upsets against Rangers. But So they still had to go about their work in a professional way, but, but they did it. They, they, they made seven changes from the Benfica draw during the week. Um, but as soon as Defoe scored after six minutes, we knew it was only going to go one way after that. Um, I thought there were some great goals. Um, very competent and dominant performance from Rangers. Um, but on that flip side, Falkirk fans won't be disheartened by it. I think their priority is very much the league, get out of League One this season. And they just didn't want to be embarrassed in this game. And I don't think they were. They, they played good football. They, they didn't revert to long balls. They, they got down, they, they, they passed the ball, looked good. I think John McLaughlin actually had more saves in this game than he's had in a lot of league games this season so far. The goals Rangers uh, scored were set pieces mostly as well. I mean, yeah. Defoe had that decent finish and there was a, was a corner, I think, was it? A free kick? Yeah, there was a corner for Calvin Bassey's goal and then mm. there was a free kick from Borna Barisic, which is probably the, the goal of the, the game. Uh, but there you go. That's the thing with Rangers is that they can change their side so much. And they have so much strength, players coming in. And you have young players coming in. Leon King, uh, Leon King sorry, coming on for Tavernier to make his Rangers debut at the age of 16. Um, apparently he's one of the highest paid youngest players at the club um, in their history. So really big things expected of him. Who but told you that? 
That's interesting. Well, it is. I don't know how much. Can't tell you that. Um, but this is the thing with Rangers. They can chop and change their side, but the whole team, every person in that squad knows how Rangers play, knows how what Gerard wants, and he can rely on people coming in now, which wasn't the case in previous seasons. Yeah, I think also note for Kieran Dixon as well, making his professional debut. He looked really comfortable in the ball in the middle of the park. And I think, I think at one point he even demanded the ball back off Tavernier. So nice little bit of confidence there from, for his first performance. That's really good. And I think we've said in previous weeks as well that this is the difference for Rangers this season is they can make changes and they, they don't look weakened in any way like they would have in previous years. On that, Leon Kingboy, in case anyone's interested for some more video game chat, he's uh, quite highly rated by the Football Manager database. And they, I mean, they have real scouts, like actual yeah, football clubs yeah. use their scouting database to sign players. Uh, that, that's a real thing they do. I never get told which ones they are, but I'm pretty sure one of them is used to be Spurs. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Leon King, yeah, he's a really highly rated youngster. Uh, played defend, he's played defender across any of the slots along the back and he could play a defensive mid as well. So uh, it would be nice to see him have a lovely career going forward from here. I was going to ask you, Laura, about uh, PJ Morrison as well, obviously, and goals for Falkirk on loan from Motherwell. And I think Stephen Robinson's tipped him quite highly too. Yeah, he's he's been at Motherwell since he was 11 years old. So over a decade now he's been in the books. He's We spoke to actually the, the goalkeeper coach um, a few weeks back and he'd said that they had the option to keep PJ at Motherwell as backup when um, Trevor Carson got injured. But they, they viewed it as more valuable to get him actually to go out and get experience this season rather than just sitting on the bench. Um, because And it was really interesting the way he, he worded it because he said something along the lines of everything we do is for PJ Morrison because he views him as a future number one at the club. Which I think is quite high praise for him. Um, we've got six goalies in the books at Motherwell just now, albeit three of them are injured, two, two are injured. And one's very young. Um and one's out on loan, obviously, in, in PJ. But he's such a bright prospect. He's got a bright future ahead of him. And the coaches have full faith that he's going to make it one day. A, a very hard learning curve for him against Rangers. It's just not, it was never going to be easy for him. You're kind of watching through your hands going, please don't concede too many. Let's not make it embarrassing. And I think he, he, he did well. I mean, yeah, he, he probably, I think, one of the goals in particular, I think it was the second one he feel he could have done better on. But the experience he will have gained from that game alone will do will work wonders for him. Well, it wasn't a, a good day for Motherwell either because they lost 2-1 to St Johnston. Although it started well because Tony Watt uh, gave Motherwell the lead. But what happened, Laura? Yeah, another good performance from Tony Watt, banging in the goal. I, I was so hopeful towards the end that Callum Lang was going to score because I'd noticed before the game that the two of them had only scored in the same games as each other and that happened four times this season. Twat so and Clang. So confident going into the last stage, it's like, no, nope, Caroline's going to score, it's fine, they're going to keep up this this uh, pattern here. No, it, just, it was just one of those days, um, Motherwell got what they deserved. St Johnson were, were brighter, sharper, livelier. Um, it's, Motherwell were just bad defending, two sloppy mistakes, two cheap goals they gave away. Um, and the manager said afterwards, some of the players are just too soft just now. We don't have players that are grabbing the game by the scruff of the neck. Um, I think we're really missing certain boys um, Liam Donnelly has been out injured since after the first game of the season he is a massive loss I've, I've kind of always compared him in the sense I've always spoke about Scott Brown in the way that he's such a hard worker off the ball that you don't really notice that he's missing until he's missing you don't really appreciate his worth until he's not in the team 
Um, so he's been a big loss this season. Jake Carroll as well um, at left back. He has been injured since just before the the shutdown of COVID. He's been missing, and then obviously Alan Campbell has been isolating due to the under twenty one Scotland COVID situation, and he was a massive miss. Um, hopefully, get him back for the Hibs game though. It, it seems like St Johnston may have turned a corner, JJ. And Callum Davidson's tinkering of the team seems to be going in the right direction right now. It'll take a while for it to come together. It'll slowly, you know, slowly happen over time. I I don't think they're that much different to when they were losing games early in the season. They're just getting some results. It's it, we won't see anything really good until we start getting new players in and things. And uh, eventually, the stuff that he's working on in training will come through. But without better players, I'm not sure what they're really going to get. Like I keep saying, they're absolutely fine. Like I, I don't want to get too carried away, nor would I think they're get suddenly bad if they lose the next game. Well, yeah, I think what well, they haven't lost since they lost to Celtic, which was a wee while ago. Um, but let's talk about Hibs, who won one nil against Dundee. Um, they had beaten Dundee earlier on in the month, uh, but Jamie Murphy was uh, the only person to score in this game at Easter Road on Saturday. Um, and yeah, there has been some strong teams knocked out of this competition. But full moon, telling you, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think now they're going to be away at Alloa in the quarterfinals. Hibs do quite well in this competition. Um, I, I don't know if they've just kind of fallen under the radar. I hadn't realised it. I was looking back at their recent runs. So 2015-16, they were runners-up to Ross County. 2017-18, they got to the semi-final, lost to Celtic. Quarter-final in 2018-19, lost to Aberdeen on penalties. And 2019-20, uh, lost again to Celtic in the semi-finals. So with the exception of one bad run, Four out of the five last seasons have served Hibs very well in the League Cup. And to then now get to the quarterfinals and have a draw against Aloha, they'll be feeling mighty confident of of getting to Hampton this season, surely. Surely, especially in the run they're, they're going on in the league just now. But this is, this is the thing. Like a lot of clubs can throw a lot at this cup competition now that Celtic aren't in it. And um, who cares if Rangers are still in it? Cup competition. One game. 90 minutes. Potentially more. No, but Rangers will be anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Just putting a little bit of hope out there, JJ. Don't kill it. I was going to say about Dundee. It's kind of they've had a really tough season so far. I know they're sitting seventh in the in the league, but they, they kind of more expectation on them because of the money that they've spent. You know, the, the players that they've got, Charlie Adam, etc. It's a bit of noise about James McPake and what he might be getting wrong as well at the moment. There was a really good piece in the 2.1 recently about uh, looking at all the different shortcomings and pointing out is, uh, well, I don't know what the, this is still the same. It was 12 wins from 32 games in the Championship. And with their budget, I think it'd be better. But you have to remember, they were really poor and they spent a lot of money and had so many players shifting around in the Premiership before that it was going to take a long time to reset the culture and get the players in to get them up. I think so a little bit of time there Charlie Adams says that he's not played as well as he wanted to he seems disappointed with how it's going um, he said he's not been good enough himself I find it weird when footballers come out and say they're not being good enough themselves and they have to try harder like they're managing themselves why don't they just be better there's never thing <laughs> well from this game that came out Hibs and um, Dundee after Leon Dempster's well tweeted yeah. that their, their game of Celtic's been moved from the 9th of January to Saturday to Monday night on the 11th and uh, Dempster, like I said, just tweeted saying, Apologies to our supporters and our head coach. This was done without my knowledge. We said no to the original request from Celtic because the request didn't work for our club. The SPFL appears to have agreed this without a call to the decision makers at our club. So, uh, not ideal. Yeah, like, how, how does that not... How does that happen without 
Hibernian's knowledge? I mean, I'm not expecting you to have the answer, <laughs> but but just it's quite rhetorical. It just seems pretty crazy for for a certain scenario like that to come across. Because it's a full moon. <laughs> <laughs> You're really gunning for this podcast title to be yours. <laughs> but I'm really also confused. Why did Celtic want the game moved? Well, I've not checked their fixtures in the run up to this game, but why could they not have played on the Saturday? I really don't know. I really don't know. But I'm sure I will after this podcast recording. Is it something to do with the fact we're not having a winter break this year? Are they, they trying to reshuffle fixtures to try and help the boys get a break at some point, get a weekend off? I don't know. I don't know the reason for it. It's just a very strange story. I, I don't know why Celtic wanted it in the first place. I don't know why Hibs didn't want it in return to this. And also, why are they not getting communicated? Why have the SPFL not spoke to... Like, the the fifty percent of the the clubs making up this fixture. I don't, I don't another get it. another yeah another question mark on the 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 governing of our of our competitions and our leagues, but we'll we'll stick to the football matters because we end on our broth Dunfermline Dunfermline the winners three one here and um, on an absolute roll fourteen games unbeaten and um, probably real candidates for for the championship title if they can because they've already beaten Hearts of course but 13 points from a possible 15 for them, and they go to St Johnston in the quarterfinals. Obviously, St Johnston will be travelling to Dunfermline, of course. Yeah, I think St Johnston are there for the taking in this. Uh, obviously, I say that on off the back of Motherwell losing to St Johnston the weekend, but they are as, as good a footballing team as they are right now. Dunfermline are very strong. They've gone 14 games unbeaten, and it's at East End Park as well. I would not write off Dunfermline getting to the semi-finals in this competition. Look at their, their squad on paper. I've not seen much of Dunfermline play recently at all um, since they've been in the lower divisions. But when you look at their squad on paper, it's very much like an old-school SPL team, in a way. We've got Owen Fawn Williams, Aaron Comrie, Declan McManus, Ryan Dow, Stephen Whittaker. I wasn't even aware he was still playing. Lewis Mayo, Dom Thomas. These are boys that have all done it in the top division and have experience, so to then take that into the lower leagues, all come together, it's, it's going good for them this season. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, Ryan Dow obviously opened the goal scoring. Pretty good goal, to be fair. I think it was um, a nice little flick from... The, the coverage of these games are so difficult to ID players, um, but it came from a goal kick um, from our broth, and then Dunferman just worked it back, Ryan Dow opening the goal scoring. And then 2-0 was a bit of a, a shambles, really. <laughs> Eight minutes later, you and Murray head, heading it in. Uh, Dale Hilson uh, got one back from our broth. But then there was a penalty um, given against Ricky Little. Uh, I think it was a handball. And Kevin O'Hara scored from the penalty spot, which led to, I can't confirm, but definitely sounds like Dick Campbell going, well done, ref. Nobody saw that in the ground. <laughs> Just clapping the referee. I just love Dick Campbell so much. Coming up, Jen Beattie joins us to discuss a big game for Scotland women. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. 
Time now to hear from our friends Paddy Power, courtesy of producer Charlie. It's opened right up in the League Cup, Charlie. Yeah, despite being the League Cup quarter-finalists, Alloa Athletic are 100-1 to with Paddy Power to go all the way. Rangers are, of course, the favourites. Second favourites are Hibs at 6-1. to Then it's Steelmen Slayers St Johnston, third favourites at 13-1. to It would be disrespectful to discuss odds for the next manager of Celtic, given Neil Lennon is still in the job at the time of recording. So we're not going to do that. All I'll say is that Gordon Strachan is the favourite with Paddy Power to be the next old Celtic manager to return to Glasgow at 6-4. Then you've got Eddie Howe at 5-2, Roy Keane at 6-1, and Henrik Larsson is also 6-1 to to be the next Celtic manager. But again, probably ages from now. Yeah, that seems a bit bonkers. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only, T's and C's applies, and when the fun stops, stop. Scotland women still have their sights on a third straight qualification to a major tournament. Currently sit third in Group E and they face leaders Finland. And joining us ahead of a huge match is Jennifer Beatty of Arsenal and Scotland. Jen... Portugal game was obviously disappointing. You lost 1-0 when you had so many chances. Uh, but what has come from that defeat? What's the message going into the next game? Um, yeah, like like you said, it's, it's obviously a huge game. It's must win. Um, I think everyone's slightly you know, disappointed that we've put ourselves in this position, knowing the sort of quality and depth that we have within the squad. But the responsibility is totally ours to, to go out there on Tuesday and get three points and put us in the best possible position for our, our games next year. What was it like with uh, Shelley Kerr, who is obviously in isolation, not able to be physically there? So what's that like? Yeah, like there's there's no sugar coating. Obviously, it was it was bizarre not having your head coach here, but you know I think everyone in 2020 has seen the the quality of zoom and the ability to stay connected in these sort of situations and everyone's like adapted really well uh, whether it be players or staff and Shelly we've you know we've she's very much been um, present in this camp and and managed to you know take charge of zooms a couple of times a day and make the big decisions and, and be here um, so we're all pretty grateful for that. So Finland are managed by the former Scotland manager Anna Signal. Uh, do you have fond memories of her time with the women's team as well? She gave you your debut. Oh yeah, massively. Anna was such an, you know, integral part of the progression of Scottish football, Scottish women's football. Sorry, um, you know, with the creation of the academy and getting young players through university and training professional and yeah, I think everyone has such huge fond memories of Anna. You know, off the pitch and on the pitch, she was such a, a lovely character, and it'll be great to see her again. It's obviously great that Scotland's men's team have uh, qualified for a major tournament for the first time since 1998, but you've achieved back-to-back qualifications, so surely more attention should be should be on you. Yeah, no, it was it was amazing to see the men qualify. Like I have such amazing memories of of France '98, so to see to see the boys, you know, achieve another major tournament was it was amazing for them and. We obviously know what it feels like to play in major tournaments over the past few years and it was just great to see it. It was great to see for the whole of Scotland knowing that they can cheer on a men's team next year. Anyone involved in, in Scottish football wants to see everyone be successful, whether that's you know, the 21s, women's or men's team. You just want success within the association. So we're, we're ecstatic to see them qualify and can't wait to watch them next summer. Do you think there's enough opportunity or competition in Scotland that 
you know, keeps the best talent in the country and then, you know, help the profile and the, and the level of football um, in the country? I think I think there can still be more. I think there's no um, shying away from that. I think the girls do an unbelievable job with, with trying to train and, and play as, as professionally as they can. But it's clubs that, that need to take that level bit more responsibility in making the girls professional and you've seen a couple of clubs do that over the past few years and the the bigger that gets then the better that will be for for the for the whole national team thanks jen laura give us your take on women's football in scotland right now like i'm i'm quite open and honest about this i'm i'm not interested in women's football um is it sexist no is it insulting no um, and I don't think I'm really doing them an injustice either. I just don't care. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, I think some people get vilified for it, especially men, if they don't give support to the women's national team, or sorry, the women's football in general. Um, but I don't really feel like I have to like... Just because I like football doesn't mean I have to like all avenues of football. Is it the is it the, the standard of football, or is it that you just don't care in general about women's football? You just rather focus on the men's game? It's, 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 it's more just in general. Um, I, I mean, why do you guys love football? Um, it's, it's sort of a rhetorical question, but I'm going to assume it's because you have a, a connection to not just the teams you support, but the teams around them as well in the league, in the competitions. Um, it's, it's a way of life for us. I mean, it's even an example of, of just us three. We, we have a, a WhatsApp group where we talk about football all week long. Uh, and you've probably got your own other ones as well. I know I do. And it's just, it's, it's just constant. It's a constant narrative running through my life. It's a connection to teams uh, and storylines and players, which I don't have in women's football. I don't know enough about the players and the clubs and their stories, and I don't feel an affinity with them. And you're, I mean, you're telling me that big games are coming up, but just telling me that it's happening isn't, isn't enough to win over fans. I feel like you have to make people care. And in order to make people care, you have to have a connection with them. But do you feel like maybe you don't like it that much because you don't know anything about them, like you've just said? And how do you... Because like, you wouldn't know anything about men's football if you didn't care and weren't interested in the first place. It's, and, and the thing with it, like, they're trying to be a, a white knight saving the women, which is, <laughs> like, you don't need it. But if you, unless you push it there first, it won't ever get level with men's football, do you know what I mean? There's, def- there's definitely a chicken and egg scenario here. Would I care more if they were promoted more? Sure, there is a market to promote them and I don't feel as though enough is done to promote them. I don't feel like the league body does enough. Uh, Arguably clubs don't do enough. But that's also got to be balanced with what the audience want as well. Yes, their games are on, for example, BBC Alba. They're they're free to air. But again, that doesn't mean that people actually take an interest in it. Yes, it's it's there as an option. But you have to make people want it. But is this maybe like you not liking Scottish women's football. Like the Scottish leagues for women's football are an absolute mess. Whereas like it seems more organised in England especially and like their the women's super league is really well run, I think. Uh well I mean there's there's a whole nightmare fixture scenario that goes on right. every season where they try and Yeah, so trying He's to televise it the world sometimes Cup, but, right? but if you look at if if you look at the, the exposure of the women's game, certainly down in England you have the likes of new teams coming into into the levels of, of women's football. Like Man United are not that um, old aside. Uh, even Spurs are in. And the fact is that you've got these teams, I think Chelsea also played 
at their main stadium, so Stamford Bridge, you know, all these, and, and they had like 20,000 people turning up. There's a genuine interest in England. But I think that was all bred out. That was all bred from, you know, the, the national game. So England's uh, women's team doing so well. Scotland's women's team has done so well recently. And I think the World Cup, only a few years ago when Scotland were involved, was I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it as a spectacle. I really enjoyed it for the stories. And I think that's where my affection comes from trying to promote women's football anytime that I get the opportunity to because I think that is that is the story that is important. And when you expose people to those stories, that's when you get the connection that you are suggesting you are missing from. And I think that's important. You're right to, to be connected, but you have to want that and, and feel that there's a real um, worth in that as well and I think there is plenty of worth in Scotland's women's game but you're right there needs to be more effort there's definitely there's definitely a higher audience in England and in the States there's no argument there um, that's probably two of the biggest countries in the world in terms of women's football but I don't feel as though there is much in Scotland it's still very much a niche here um, and you, you may come back to me in five years time and it's entirely different but right now I feel like we still sometimes do cover, cover them to tick a box um, and it's not so much through a popularity aspect of them. I mean, I heard JJ saying, did I support them in the World Cup last year? Um, no, I, I didn't take any interest in it because it's... No. I, don't, I, I mean, yeah, I'm a, I'm a proud nationalist and I, I love watching Scotland and Scotland is my team, but I don't watch Scotland when we play in the rugby. I don't watch Scotland when we play in the cricket um, I, or, or really kind of... In the Commonwealth Games, I don't really take much interest in because it's football for me. And to me, it's men's football. It's men's professional senior football. So it just kind of... Women's football is different. And I don't mean that in a negative or derogatory way. I feel like we should stop trying to compare them all the time to men's football in terms of how much coverage they get and how popular they are, um, even wages, things like that. And we should start thinking of them as a different entity and celebrating them as a different entity. Let them embrace that. Let them be different. They don't have to be compared. Really interesting conversation. I think we could go on for ages. Um, but that is it for today. Amazing. Scotland played cricket. Who would have known? Also, Caroline Weir's up for the Pushcast Award. Oh, so she is. Yeah. Great shout, JJ. There you go. There you See, go. There's your connection. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Could be one of the best goals well, in the world ever, apparently. That one, if you win. That it. would be brilliant. That would yeah. be brilliant. Well, we'll look forward to that. But for now, thanks for listening. Thanks, JJ, Laura, Andrew Semple, and Jen Beatty for joining us in this one. We'll be back next Tuesday after the return of the Premiership. You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Scottish Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media. <laughs>